welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay. I am your host, Mike Jokum. Frenchie is here. Sarah is here. We are going to talk for F1 for about five minutes, and then we'll talk about far more interesting racing this weekend. So, Frenchie, let's go to F1 predictions. I know Sarah, Sarah did make predictions, so here we go. And here's Daniel in the background, so I'm going to go on mute. Yeah, um, let's see. The race was really boring. So let's just recap these predictions and talk about two news items quickly. And then, like you said, we can move on. For a good weekend, I picked Pierre Gasly, and he finished ninth for the second time this season. I don't know if I'd classify it as a good weekend. I mean, he had points, but I think he was about where his car is at right now because Ocon finished eighth right in front of him. You had Albon, who retired, unfortunately. Nice, nice. Yeah. That tracks. That's as per usual. Okay. As far as Mike's predictions go. Hey, rude. But fair. bad weekend was I had <laughs> Oscar Piastri, which he finished fifteenth. Uh, yeah, I would say McLaren is still not doing so well. Nope. He still has no points. Um, and you picked Haas as a team. They finished tenth and twelfth, which I would say is not terrible. Correct. Again, awesome. Fantastic. <laughs> Fantastic preview uh, predictions. Wait, I don't even remember. I just have names written down for the last one. I don't even know what the category we picked was. Was it a Q3 appearance? Q2 appearance? Sure. Maybe. If it was you guys a week don't ago. remember? No. Guys, come on. Listen, Sarah, as soon as I get done recording, I almost always forget exactly what I say. Like, I can't write a description afterwards because I don't remember. You know, well, Mike, you're you're turning out to be one of those predictable people. It's that's fair. I I respect that. If Frenchie, why do you look so confused? Because if we picked for like if we picked Q three, neither of them got in Q three. Like I picked, I think Zhou Guan Yu, and he qualified twelfth. And then Mike picked Logan Sargent. If this is what we chose, which I don't know if you would have picked him to go into Q three. Mm-hmm. No. If he did, then that there's no way that could have been a category. If yeah, Mike has what, half exactly. a brain, which I know he does, right, that couldn't have been a category. So what was the category? I don't even remember. Best looking under twenty five year old F one driver. Okay, it's actually not that bad. That's pretty good. <laughs> I also old- thought of that totally on the spot. How old is Joe Guan Yu? It's got to be like twenty two or something. Twenty three, maybe. He has good hair for sure. Yeah, he's 23. Nailed it. I'm heating up now that we're getting past the predictions. Okay, yeah. So I would say that I won that, yes. even though we don't know what the last category was. We'll give you the win this time. So I want to know what you guys think of the first Alonzo penalty. The lining up on the grid spot incorrectly. Now, when you see the replay... It looks like he's about six inches to the left of the painted white lines. Doesn't make a damn difference. I don't know if it's about making a difference. I think it's about the FIA trying to be consistent in when they give a penalty and when they don't. I mean, it's not like they actually are consistent, but I think the whole point of that would be if they were to not give him a penalty this time and then someone else were to do it and for some reason have an advantage because of it, then they would have gone back to the Albon thing and been like, well, Albon was six inches away and he wasn't penalized um, just because 
I don't know. I think that's probably a, honestly a good move by the FAA just to cover their tracks. But I mean, they made a number of mistakes following the race, so you can't really defend them. Reggie? I basically have the same argument that Sarah does. I think they were right to penalize because you, there's a line there, right? And it's just the rule is the rule. You have to treat it black and white that if you cross the line in any way, it is a violation and you get a penalty. You have to give the same penalty every single time. Do they now have to fix it? Because, I mean, every driver has come out and said how hard it is to line the cars up correctly. Yes, I think they have to do something about it and have sensors or whatever it is, cameras, I don't know. But it's F1, it's supposed to be the peak of technology. They should be able to figure out how to line their cars up correctly in a spot on the grid. And Alonso's a master. Like if he even made this mistake, then it goes to show you, I think, how difficult it is. Yeah, that was kind of my next question in terms of like, okay, so the rule's the rule. Agreed, that's fine. Can we alter the rule because it just seems like a silly rule. And with those tire, the the piece of arrow body work over the tire, I can see it making the it eyebrows. Hard. Yeah, the eyebrows. <laughs> Reminds me of the stupid like uh, eyelashes that weirdos put on their VW bugs. <laughs> the lift the cars oh, yeah. that yeah. they had eyelashes on it for a yeah. while. Yeah. Is there a way the FIA can make it more of like a suggestion or, hey, if your front tire is six inches over, like, you know, we're not going to penalize you because the rule just the rule needs to change. Um, I mean, I think there are just as Frenchie said, there are a number of things that could be done easily that would just nix the issue in general. Like they could have some sort of sensors. They always have a million crew members around while they line up on the grid. A crew member can easily see, hey, you're six inches over the line, back up, repark, like it's it's not the easiest thing obviously because engines aren't on they have to like push and pull the car but you know there are very low-hanging fruit ways to fix the issue so you can abide by the rules and so that way the fa can continue to be consistent or try to be consistent when it comes to that rule specifically and like there are workarounds for drivers to easily solve that issue like i'm honestly surprised that his team didn't notice that and say something during the yeah, lineup. Yeah. Because even if it's difficult for him as skill of a driver, whatever, like he still has an entire team around him for eons figuring that out. So do we know if like in that case, like if the team tells Alonzo like, Hey, you have to back up since six inches. Is that allowed? Probably not. Like I agree, if- but you know how weird they are with like, radio transmissions on the uh on the on the Mm. formation lap like didn't they ban radio communications between the team and the driver specifically on the formation lap i could you don't even need to do a radio communication the team is right there with him if it's a problem that they can't back up once they're on the grid then that's something the fa has to solve because if the fa is saying you need to park in this line but then doesn't give them the chance to do that then that's when they're being hypocritical okay I can respect. I'm going to make something up right here that I think, I mean, who knows if this could even work, but you know, how they have the onboard camera that's like above the driver's head. Why couldn't you project that screen to like the little screen on the, the steering wheel for while they're trying to park and pull in? Like you could have a kind of a, yeah. I don't know, that pro- sounds possible to me, but I'm no engineer or software person, but I think it could be an easy fix. Like Sarah said, it doesn't seem like something that they need to continue to penalize when we could just fix this 
and avoid stupid penalties that ruin racing because you have five seconds in the pit and you take away yeah. someone's, you know, ability to fight in the race. I feel like, and I think the penalty needs to be there because if they do park outside of the lines, they could theoretically get a race advantage. So whether it's two inches, six inches, 12 inches, doesn't really matter. They have to park in the lines. Size does not matter in this case. <laughs> okay. It's about how well. quick you are off the line. All right. Well, how do you follow up with that one? Okay, let's move on to the other. I think the really the only other thing we have to talk about, other than great job by Perez to maintain his gap the second half of the race. So mm -hmm. Alonso comes into service penalty on lap 18 or 19 or 20, somewhere around there, whenever that the stroll retirement was. And then the penalty isn't announced until after... After the podium celebration, honestly, I yes. I went out. I I took the dog for a walk. I was going to get coffee. I was done for the day. I walked back yeah. in, and it was on the TV. So, how do we feel about that? But then it was reversed again. Then he got then it, it back. Was reversed again. Yes, that's what yeah. I was getting there. Sorry, okay. just jumping straight to the gun. It's okay. So, how do we feel about the lengthy delay in announcing a penalty like that? pathetic it, it's just like incredible level of ineptitude i mean the way that aston martin was able to pull up what seven instances to refute yeah. what the fi had said like this is seven times that quickly right to show them hey you, you've let this fly seven times i mean that it's just absurd to me like i don't know why they continue to embarrass themselves because number one Right. The the second penalty about the whole like, oh, the jack on the back of the car is touching. And that's that, you know, you're not serving your penalty then. That's that seems like a really ridiculous rule, in my opinion. Like if it's touching the car, that's just being super OCD about it and unnecessary, which is typical FIA. <laughs> but to not decide it, like you said, for. I don't know what 30 laps and then also the entire podium celebration like hey Alonzo you're in third place you you got to celebrate on the podium everyone's really excited uh and now we're just gonna strip it from you and give it to George Russell I I don't know why it took them so long there's really no excuse for it yeah I think that's my biggest qualm I think I mean I agree it's a stupid rule but again just as we said I don't want to like be hypocritical and us just saying, you know, rules are rules. And if you it's in the rule book, you have to follow it. But for me, the biggest thing is how long it took them to do it. Like they had the entire race to there's 50 laps, I think, at Jetta, and it took them like 30 to do to make that decision. And for someone to celebrate a podium and it wasn't it like Alonzo's hundredth podium or something too. So it was like a very celebratory right. podium. It wasn't it wasn't like a a regular moment it was something that was like really a moment of celebration for Alonzo and the team and so for them to make that decision after that fact doesn't make any sense to me because they have so long to make those decisions and like the FIA they have access to all these different cameras it's usually a lot of the stewards that are running these races have run races in the past they have at least a decade of experience for the most part. And if one of them doesn't, there's usually around three to four stewards, at least three of them are 
people who are very well expertise that they would know what decisions have been made in the past on the same circumstance for the most part. I don't know. I just think that the timing didn't make any sense. And the flip flop just, just as you said, Frenchie just made them look stupid for something that it could have easily been avoided. Yeah. Yep. I don't really have much to add to that other than I think in night, it was like the late nineties, there was like a rule that a penalty had to be announced within it was either 25 laps or 25 minutes. And I don't know which one it was either way. If, if a penalty happens in the last like five laps of the race, like, okay, fine. It's going to bleed over. That's so be it. Mm-hmm. But there should be like a cutoff, like, okay, you know, an hour of time has passed or 20 laps or whatever. And then if we can't decide on a penalty, it's done. Like you're just, you're done. You can give them like a penalty point or a fine and be like, listen, you guys shouldn't have done that, but we didn't impose a penalty in the right time. So we can't do anything. Instead, you just look like goofballs because now you've been like, no, you can't have that. Oh, wait, actually, like you guys were right. So yes, you can. So, you know, we'll give it back to you. It was just really dumb. I'm just surprised in the grand scheme of things that the FIA make these announcements publicly and they like people publish this online on the internet before they even talk to the team about it. Or like, you know, like the fact that they had to, they published it and then Aston was like, no, here are seven other instances where you didn't do it, but they wait until it was published publicly. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm just surprised that there isn't some sort of at least like not necessarily internal dialogue where they can feel like they can sway the decision, but at least give it to them first, give them like 10 minutes to look at it and process it and like try to refute it or not. And like within that time period, you can refute it or not and like make your case. And so that way, none of this goes public. I think the biggest issue here is that just went public. And then everyone was like, okay, the FA is doing this again. Um, When again, if it was just like an internal conversation, it could have been solved pretty easily and quickly. Frenchie, you stuck your hand up a second ago like you wanted to jump in. I was trying to figure out who the stewards are, but it's really hard to find their identity, I think, probably purposefully because they don't yeah. want people getting hate. Uh, yeah, so I don't exactly know who it. the stewards were at the at this race, but just the whole thing about the FIA deciding the 2021 championship and taking forever to do it i mean they already have a bad reputation with this just taking and and the whole cost cap thing like they just take forever to make these decisions and it's drags out in public like sarah said and it's just it's a way to make your organization look incredibly unprofessional and kind of takes away from the racing itself although I mean, this was the most exciting part of the race at Jeddah. So maybe this was kind of like (laughs) staged because there was nothing else to even really get excited over, except that uh, what Max was pissed off that. uh, No, Sergio was pissed off that Max got the fastest lap at the end of the race. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, I have a question. This kind of comes from listening to James Hinchcliffe and Alex Rossi talk about it on off track. Our, our boy, Joss Verstappen, and I say that with the utmost sarcasm. Obviously, we've all seen the fact that, like, he was miserable when Checo was walking through. I'm going to leave out what their opinions are. Is it a big deal, or, or is it just kind of like, I don't know. Before I give my opinion, go ahead. Somebody go first. 
I have to say first that I've seen a full clip. Like there are the screenshots of him looking cranky or like the kind of clip where Sergio's getting high five by everyone. And he's just kind yeah. of frowning. I mean, yeah, he was frowning, but he eventually, like if you watch the end of the clip, he shakes Sergio's hand. Okay. I did not so, see that. It was out of context, I think. Uh, and I, I can find that full clip and we can try to post it, but I don't think Yos or Yas, however you say it appropriately was that upset, um, about it. I mean, but he's allowed to also like show his emotions. It doesn't really matter what he thinks. And I don't think Sergio cares either. Sarah. So my thoughts on, I mean, just him as a human, as a person <laughs> is he puts so much emphasis and pressure on his son to succeed and do well. A big part of that is not just obviously getting the race results, but also having the public perception that you deserve your wins or like that you're liked. If, if you're not liked, then people are going to try to nitpick every good thing that you do and bring you down. So I'm just more surprised in the general grand scheme of things. And again, maybe this is like my marketing comms brain coming out, but like how that's not a, it's not even that it's not part of his pressure that he puts on his son to be well-liked so people respect him more. It's he's really doing things in front of the media that is not only putting himself in a bad light, but by extension, putting his son in a bad light and by extension, yeah. losing respect of the larger Formula One fan base, which we know to be true. We know that there are very, very staunch Max Verstappen supporters. We know that they're very, very staunch Max Verstappen, quote unquote, haters, if you want to call it that. And a lot of that comes from his presence in front of the media and a lot of that has come from his father's presence from the media so i'm just more shocked that like if he truly wants his son to succeed as much as it apparently seems that he does to, based on his actions towards his son that that's not something that he's aware of during moments like this if you have a teammate that's winning and that you know you are going to be shown on tv because you're standing next to the team and you are at the front of the barrier that you're going to continue to let your emotions get the better of you in a circumstance in which you know that you should not be acting that way. Again, that's just more of like a philosophical idea on the whole thing, but I just think it makes no freaking sense for his actual end goal. That's definitely a lot deeper than I'm going to go in just saying, why are we surprised? And I like, I, yeah, why are we surprised? And like, and, I, and I'm not like discounting other people's opinions, but like this is Joss Verstappen. He's an ass. Like it's okay. Like Sarah's not wrong. Uh, Sarah's like I agree now that like I hear it from that standpoint. But also like everybody's oh my god, he's the worst. Like yeah, we, we know. Like if you expected anything else, maybe you should take a step back. A hundred percent. I'm gonna sort of play devil's advocate, even though I also not much hate hate Joss. Um. Number one, I really feel like the guy has anger management issues. So like mm, he's not yeah. gonna be able to control his face or anything. Like we I, <laughs> I assume he he he's like a helmet throwing type person. I think he got in altercations at cart tracks. Like I'm pretty sure he actually had criminal charges from that if you go I look it so, up. Yeah. I'm gonna say mm -hmm. allegedly, but whatever. Mm -hmm. Also, number two is if this is the worst thing you think Yas has done, go look into him because this is <laughs> like, this is not a reason to hate him. If you already hate him, it kind of adds to it. But like, this is, uh, you know, not the straw that broke the camel's back. Like you should already have your opinion of him. You know? Yeah. 
But okay. that's for people who know the sport, right? There's right, still a lot right. of people who are really right. getting into the sport this year. And so they're like, who is this father character who's being a piece of crap, right? And so <laughs> it continues to be brought up in the media because, well, A, again, the race is boring. So you got to focus on something. But B, it's like you're giving these people personalities. It's probably going to end up in DTS in some degree. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the it's stars. there for the entertainment of the sport as well. Yeah, Dancing in the Stars. Exactly. <laughs> How did you know? Can you imagine I would actually job? love to see. Imagine Joss on BWTS. Dancing with the Stars. He'd he would oh, rage quit. Fantastic. Um, anyway, so I guess we have one thing of F one news, and then we're going to talk Sebring and more fun racing. So I'll turn it over to Frenchie. Okay. Yeah. So the only news that we have is basically that McLaren has scapegoated James Key, who as I was talking to host about this this morning has been an F1 since 1998. He started with Jordan. Like he knows what he's doing. He's not some incompetent hack who doesn't belong in F1, but essentially the team was underperforming. This car sucks and they had to make a restructure. So what's his name? David Sanchez from Ferrari is coming over. Someone from Ferrari coming over. Good luck with mm-hmm. that, McLaren. Like, just let's see how that goes. I am interested to see, but I don't know if this is going to solve anything for them by replacing one person and change, like restructuring, because now they have to adjust to a new system. But you know what? I guess they had to make it look like they were doing something for their shareholders. So to double down on one point, the guy coming over from Ferrari, what's his name again? David Sanchez. David Sanchez. It, it, there's that... Thing that when when you go from one team to another you can't have you ever wanted to know how to win a formula one grand prix i mean really know know about the driver tactics from the cockpit the strategy calls from the pit wall and even the mind games in the paddock there's a lot more that goes into winning a grand prix than just 90 minutes of racing so every week on the f1 strategy report we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result hey there my name is michael laminato and every week i'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat before every race we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide and will be in your feed after every grand prix dissecting the outcome and what it means for the championship so for your regular hit of formula one analysis subscribe to the f1 strategy report wherever you get your favorite podcasts the strategy report is a beer mogul podcast on the evergreen podcasts network my name's michael laminato and i'll catch you after the checkered flag coming up on five minute news i'm anthony davis You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily do anything for like a year so you're already now like behind the eight ball even more because you are you know david sanchez can't do anything until at some point next year i forget when maybe it's later this year anyway this is you know he's a scapegoat but it's like any team that fires their coach or their general manager purdue 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 maybe (laughs) i don't know did purdue purdue sucks 
I think so, they will, right? Like, yeah, I don't know. Ask Cody. <laughs> Cody's the Purdue fan. But, you know, that's what happens. So, unfortunately, he was the scapegoat. Like, it sucks, and he probably deserves better, and hopefully he lands on his feet. But McLaren, anybody who thought McLaren was going to finish in the top five in the constructors this year is unfortunately in for a rude awakening. And it's very disappointing to see, but I'm sure Danny Rick is very happy right now. Oh, he's rolling in that money. He was paid, <laughs> what, $18 million to just yeah. go and enjoy his life? I mean, I know he wants to be racing, but, I mean, it just sounds like McLaren is following in the footsteps of Ferrari's strategy decisions, which is not the idol or the symbol that you should be following. And their car is just horrible this year. So, I mean, I feel, I feel bad for Lando to some degree, but, I mean... Maybe they're just playing for the long-term, long game, and hoping that this guy from Ferrari is really going to fix it. Maybe they just know that this year is a wash, and they're dedicated to next year. And maybe they know the Ferrari issues are really with the engine that blows up every other weekend. So, like, David Sanchez is an aero genius, and I don't know. I'm grasping at straws, but also making fun of Ferrari at the same time. So you heard it here first. They're going to hire Mattia Bonotto next. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god could you imagine they're just gonna go full in on ferrari people <laughs> what is mattia doing now is he doing anything no i don't think so he has a he has a it's, vineyard though yeah i was gonna say maybe he's just at his winery oh that's fancy drinking wine okay let's move on sebring so obviously this weekend was wec and imsa at sebring which was super fun Sarah was there. So before we kind of just randomly rattle off thoughts about the weekend, Sarah, we've never been to Sebring. What was, other than leaving your license at registration, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't even think I told Frenchie. called me out on that one. <laughs> so, no, I didn't know that. <laughs> so I am walking the dog before I went on that date Friday, and I get a phone call and an email from some lady I'm like, I ignored the phone call. I'm like, I don't know what phone number this is because it wasn't a Florida <laughs> phone number. And uh, they pick up and she's like, hi, um, do you do you, you work with Sarah Levinson? I'm like, mm-hmm. She's like, yeah, her license is in registration. I'm like, okay, I, I'm not there. So I, <laughs> I can't, I can't help you. And she's like, well, just tell her. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Well, that's because I didn't have my contact information. So if anything actually happened to me or if they needed to reach me, that would have been a problem. Yeah. But no, the woman was super nice. I like I went okay. back to go get it a few hours later. And she's like, it was totally my fault, sweetheart. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I didn't give it back to you. And I was just like, thank you for telling me because I was driving and I didn't have my license <laughs> on me. So if there was any issues, I mean, to be fair, Frenchie, your face, I was literally driving from like one end of the track to the other where the parking lot was. Oh, like it okay. wasn't a big deal. I thought you were driving um, home and you had to go back. No, 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 no. This was like, this was on. So I got there first thing Friday morning got and it. I picked up my registration at like 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. Friday. Um, And host called me at like noon or like one o'clock. And I think yeah. I went back around four. So no, it was like, same day totally fine but yeah she was i mean they were super sweet so maybe i just and i've never knock on wood knock on whatever i've never lost my license before or lost anything like that so if i left that behind and i drove the three and a half hours home without it (laughs) that would have been problematic but yeah sebring sebring was amazing i mean for as you guys know, I've only done a handful of IMSA and WEC races. Um, so really the biggest comparison for me was to Daytona. It was very different than Daytona just because obviously the WEC and the IMSA were split up between the two days. 
Um, and it was really, really, I think, honestly, the most interesting part for me, obviously, besides the incredible access that you get and how close you can get to the cars, how close anyone who attends can get to the cars and see anything, um, was watching people go back to back. Because I think it's one thing if you do a 24 hour race and like you go in with that mindset, and that expectation. But I think it's another thing if you rate, if you do an eight hour race one day, a 12 hour race the next day, a lot of times people are racing even in different cars. Like there are some people who are doing LMP2 one day and like GT another, right? So it's, that was just really interesting watching that happen especially some of these drivers that are older, like Ben Keating did both and he's what 51. He's yeah, and like, that was like insane to watch. Right. So it's just that, I think that was really interesting. And then also seeing the different differences in performances, because obviously the car, like traffic, whatever, uh, WEC, there is 36 cars on track and IMSA there is 53 total cars. So like the traffic is different. The actual cars are different. So, um, I think that that was like really one of the most interesting parts, like Albuquerque, raced both days and then i think he like finished in second in WEC, but then he ended up crashing out in imsa which we can talk about but um yeah no i think that that was super super interesting and the track itself was like really easy to get around super okay. nice the people are insane in the membrane like mm -hmm. turn 10 holy cannoli those people are a different breed but it was so awesome to see because a lot of people are um, Florida locals and their Sebring locals and there's nothing that really happens in that area of the state besides Sebring so people are just so excited for it and they really love the drivers they love the environment and you can really see that like it's like a it's a true event and also the racing is good so yeah it was great yeah two races that were better than F1 this weekend would be WEC yeah. and IMSA so I don't have yeah. a lot of like WEC recap other than Toyota won by 64 laps and it's definitely going to get BOP yeah. to hell before Port him out in a couple of weeks, but yeah, let's talk IMSA because IMSA IMSA race was bonkers. And other than the cautions being a little too long as per IMSA wave around rules, was that the most kind of just like I don't know, I'm gonna call it the cowboy race. Like it was just like the Wild West, like from start essentially the start to obviously the finish. So Frenchie, mm -hmm. from watching at home or wherever you were watching, what did you think of? The race. Oh, we made IMSA. We made predictions for this. Do you, I, we probably don't have them written down, do we? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I do know that Tim correctly got the the Toyota that won. I think he picked that one, and there was one or two in IMSA that I'm pretty sure I I nailed, but I don't remember. I don't remember like what what was what other than that at this point because it's you know thursday night now so what did you think of at least imsa or the weekend as a whole i mean i thought it was fantastic racing to watch some of it was embarrassing <laughs> lmp3 just completely not their finest weekend but I, I'm not even singling out the, the category because we, you know, we've had that discussion on this podcast and I, I don't want to lump all the drivers in together, but whatever happened under yellow while the one <laughs> LMP3 car just completely drove right into the Porsche GTP car was surreal. That shouldn't happen. Like minimum level of skill 
I don't, that wasn't even like a skill issue. I don't know what that driver was doing. Like, did, did they drop something and like bend over or something? Like, was he trying to tie his shoe? <laughs> like, what was happening? <laughs> well, so one thing I do want to say about WAC quickly before we move fully on to IMSA, what's also LMP3 related, was I watched the start from the pit lane. And so as soon as they crossed, like the, after they did the formation lap and they crossed the checkered line, I like doubled it back to the media center so I could like really watch the first lap or as much as possible from the TV so I can know what was happening. And I remember running like through and I texted you guys too. The paddock was the quietest I have ever heard a paddock in my entire life. Not a single person on a single team was speaking. And I was like, okay, either WEC is boring and these people are lame or something serious just happened and I don't know. So I booked it back. It turned out turn one, lap one, and LMP3 just completely bonked it and spun out and was sitting in the middle of the track ahead of GTD cars, basically. Like I think he was ahead of like 28 cars had to go around and try to pass him. Yeah. And it's like turn one, lap one of an eight-hour race, my guy. And you were about to wreck like 28 <laughs> people's days right now, more than 28 people, right? So, I mean, I think that it's maybe it is worth a larger conversation of the role LMP3 plays in a lot of these catastrophes. Um, but I thought that that was, I mean, it brings interest, it brings chaos, which people watch racing because of interest in chaos, but things like that. And then things like, as you said, Frenchie and so where it was literally just a yellow flag and he just like went straight into him for no other reason. Like, come on, you got to do better than that. I think this was like LMP3 in Daytona was pretty decent. Like, I think they kept it clean. This was definitely not the case and it's not every driver, obviously, but it was definitely not a shining example between that and obviously IMSA and yeah. Yeah. So Frenchie, what, where do you want to go next with talking about IMSA or talking just, about either? Yeah. I'm just going to say that, I mean, for as few GTP cars as you know, we saw finish, we can't really just crap all over LMP3 for having accidents and incidents and wrecking yep. out of the race yep. without criticizing those guys. I mean, you got to finish an endurance race, man. But we saw a lot of just dumb, overly aggressive moves. And I think you and I were talk texting about that is, you know, even like early, early in the race, mm -hmm. they were going for yeah. stuff that was just like, this is a do or die move. And I know that that's kind of what IMSA has turned into, but I, I don't know what it is about Sebring that just turns it up a notch in terms of the, I don't know, whatever it is. Like everybody just seemed like they were driving pissed off. Mm-hmm. It seemed I, to me, and I think this is what I said to you or in the Twitter group chat, it's just, it felt like a very sloppy race. I just want to correct myself really quickly. The lap one, turn one, LMP3 incident was IMSA. I was thinking about the Ferrari that flipped over in WEC at the, on the uh, first lap. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because that was another thing that there was just like a yellow flag immediately. So for both days on both races, there was pretty much i remember actually specifically the commentator is saying like and we're like we're racing i really hope for a lot of green flags and it was like immediate yellow flag for both days so <laughs> commentator's like, cool. curse exactly so sorry i just wanted to quickly fact check myself that's okay what next um uh, the chip ganassi lit on fire 
Oh, yep. Yep. Bourdais lit on that? fire. No, no, I forgot about it, but I did not miss it. Wait, you said Sebastian Bourdais lit on fire. You didn't explain that it was his oh, vehicle. The, the car. Yes, no, sorry, the vehicle. The no, I said <laughs> anyone... Chipanassi. The no, Chipanassi no, but car. Mike then said Sebastian oh. Bourdais was on fire. It sounded like to me. My fault. My fault. No, he was for out of the car. Yeah. For anyone who didn't watch, just Bourdais is fine. He was yeah. just angry. Yeah. As usual. I was so... actually um sitting in the pit lane right outside of there. I'm like friendly with their tire guy and so I was like talking to him and he's like hearing something on his radio he's like hold on hold on so of course I go to the like actual as close as to the barrier as I can get to see what was happening and I see the car come in and I see Bordet jump out immediately I'm like oh but there was no other driver to get in ready and I was like oh god what's happening and then smoke just started pouring out of the top of this car like they opened the engine cover and it was just like a swath cloud of black smoke covering like three different pit boxes and i was like that's not good <laughs> yeah yeah and i think well i'm glad everybody was okay and let's jump to yeah. the end because i think this is going to be one of those things that is like one of those in the in the season like youtube recap at the end of the year and i don't really know how to describe what happened but we're talking about the big incident where Half of the GTP field got taken out and a BMW ended up in second place on the podium. And Scott mm -hmm. McLaughlin in an LMP2 finished on the podium in third overall because it was just mm -hmm. complete mayhem. So, Frenchie, what is your take on the incident? We know Albuquerque or Albuquerque, I think, right, is yeah. rather aggressive. But I don't think he did necessarily anything wrong, right? He pitted, and I think they lost a few places in the pits. He was trying to get them back in traffic on the Porsche, which really seemed to come alive at night for some reason. It was just like kind of nowhere all day. And then at night, looked super competitive of, that was Jaminet in that car, I think. That was number six. Yep. Yeah. And Nasser was in the seven at the time. So they, I don't know, it was just a, a gap closed around GTD traffic while Albuquerque was trying to go around, I believe, the outside of a corner going into turn one, I think. Mm -hmm. And so he just kind of goes off. He slides through the grass and unfortunately happens to come back on and literally takes out the car that, you know, at first looked like took him out, kind of shoved him out of the way. And then yeah. I don't know how this really happened because it was hard to see in the dark. But then the number seven Porsche just like kind of jumped up over the top of the wrecked cars and we lost a bunch of gtd cars and that i mean it was just really unfortunate end to the race last year pretty much the same thing happened with the wayne taylor acura and it was with the action express car yeah. who benefited this time but it just seems like the end of the sebring race there's always a yellow that leads to i don't know 15 minutes or so left and it just becomes this not demolition derby but Carnage. it, it it, it becomes NASCAR almost like it becomes <laughs> the like green, white checkered flag overtime finish where it's like, how many wrecks can we have in this last sort of time? I don't know. I'm sure Roger Penske was furious as was Tim Sindrick. I mean, Chip Ganassi, I'm sure was really angry when his car blew up, but I'm, <laughs> at least he didn't have to deal with crash damage. <laughs> uh, Wayne Taylor, we actually saw, he didn't seem as angry as I expected. I thought, that little South African was about to be like on top of Porsche's pit stand, like choking someone. I, like I, I was expecting mayhem and it was mostly on track and it seems like everybody was okay with 
what happened and accepts that it was a racing incident. But I don't know. Like you said, it was it was definitely sloppy and unfortunate for all those cars because I don't <laughs> I don't think Pipo Durrani and the number 10 Action Express car deserved the win. They they got it. Um, and the BMW definitely wasn't one of the faster cars, but it ended up on the podium out of luck. So good for them for being there at the end. You mean Pipo and the 31 car? Did I say 10? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I meant the 31 Action Express Whalen Engineering Cadillac DPI car. Or DPI, sorry, GTD. GTP. GTP. I'm going to get all of the letters wrong. <laughs> Frenchie has has gone off the rails. In the I've last... short-circuited. Yeah. <laughs> Sarah, That's do you actually, have any um... It's my anger. Well, the the Cadillac win was the first Cadillac win in the new IMSA GTP era. I mean, obviously it came because they just avoided the mess of the rest, but I thought that that was interesting. Epo usually doesn't avoid accidents either. So (laughs) that was surprising. Yeah, Yeah. that's a good point. Yeah, I don't really have too much to add to that. It was just, it was just like a lot of chaos at once. Like the, you know, who was it? Jaminet was trying to avoid the GTD cars in front. Mm-hmm. Albuquerque was trying to make the pass and just everything mm-hmm. went wrong at the same time. So it's like, it sucks. I get why ev- I could see everybody being ar- wanting to argue and be mad in that case, but mm-hmm. it is what it is. Did you want to talk about the announcing that you brought up to me? Was there anything you wanted to mention about that potentially? I mean, I wasn't, I didn't think TV coverage for part of it was that great, but We'll, we'll no, well, we won't be too mean this week. We'll maybe, maybe we'll see how the season goes before I go there. That's unlike you. I know. Is a little pep in your step today? What's going on, host? No, no, not really. <laughs> no, it's raining here, so no, no pep. Well, I think what I did enjoy about after that whole thing was I was worried that they were going to end on a yellow flag and that just would have been sad. And I did go green with four minutes left. And I don't think that there was like much racing racing happening after that, but um, I thought that that was good. And then even that Scott McLaughlin, McLaughlin, excuse me, um, got his first, his first weather tech championship victory in LMP two. Like that's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, Like there's definitely like, from the incidents there was some cool things to happen even in like it's i remember at hour seven simpson in the tower car like simpson yeah spun into the barriers and got nose damage and so nobody expected them to do well and for them to end up getting a victory is pretty cool um like it's just like it's interesting to see those types of things and again as you said host the getting an lmp2 getting third overall like you don't hear that so I don't know. Even like at WEC, there is some really interesting things about the podium, even though Toyota obviously dominates and that's a normal thing. I think this was their Toyota's 40th WEC victory in their decade of experience. Um, But like, I think if I remember correctly, during the press conference afterwards, they said that Mike Conway is like the third most winning driver in WEC now because of that. Um, They obviously cross the line with like two laps ahead of everyone else, which is insane. Um, and hypercar Ferrari got their first overall podium in WEC and they got a pole position the day before, which wasn't expected. Um, I think, oh yeah, for Ben Keating, you know, he had a new car, new team and new teammates and they got like six overall. They were on the podium, but like there was definitely still like some really interesting things that happened. Yeah, I agree. It was definitely, it was a fun, it was, it was such a fun 
Friday and Saturday combo, even just watching at home slash on a train slash at the bar slash hungover on Saturday morning. That's what happens when you have a 12 hour race. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, it was a lot of fun. And I'm looking at the IMSA kind of lap data and man, Bourdais had such a good car. He was, yeah, I think he had the fastest lap of the race. Oh, he had the fastest average lap of the race over mm-hmm. over his 103 laps that he ran so that's yeah yeah he that car was running really good. really really well that car was like killing it until they but not turn into flames but not suspiciously so like we we, no. we don't yeah, suspect yeah. anything from that yeah, yeah 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 all right if you know well, you know what we're talking about yeah the only last thing which was kind of sad was watching the Meyer shank go out because obviously they had one Daytona so I'm sure that that was like a blow to them but maybe it was good to let someone else win sometimes yeah I think they've uh they've definitely gotten a little bit of a dose of reality with the penalty and then yeah. the wheel falling off in the middle of the race and all that fun stuff but Frenchie yeah. do you have any last thoughts for the episode not forever yeah are you threatening me yeah um i just heard beavis saying that in my head (laughs) um i guess the only thing i'd say is that i we still really don't have an idea of which car is the best right i think the bop has actually been done pretty well i mean from Mm -hmm. what from what Mm -hmm. it looks like i mean so the BMW, uh, something's going on there, and I, I'm thinking that's them, <laughs> not BOP. Um, mm. Unfortunately, that's holding them back a bit. But the rest of the GTP field and just, I mean, it looks like they've really balanced it well, and there's nothing to complain about. And people love to crap all over IMSA and WEC for BOP. But hey, for a new formula in IMSA, at least, uh, they got it right in my eyes. Yeah, fair enough. Oh, we should also mention, after talking about it with Trevor a couple weeks ago, the GTD and GTD Pro BOP was kind of put back in line. Like, I think we mentioned last week, too, the Mm -hmm. restrictor size was increased for the Porsches and Fath pulled out the win. So good for them. And before we sign off, make sure to go to the pin tweet in our Twitter and vote for us on the racing podcast of the year. Make sure you have to, you have to create an account first. I've had like ten questions about that. Create an account. You can only vote once, and I think the voting ends April sixth or April seventh. So go vote, and we're the only IndyCar podcast on there, or the only kind of IndyCar focused podcast on there. So mm-hmm. go do that, and we'll be back next week to talk about tech to preview Texas and preview Australia, and. IMSA is off for a couple of weeks. I don't remember where they are next. It might be Laguna. They go to Portimao. Oh, no, it's, it's um, WEC is in Portimao and yeah. IMSA is in Long Beach. So, and yes. I'll be at Long Beach. Yes, FYI. find Sarah if you're at Long Beach. And come say hi. Come find me. Come say hi and find her. And hopefully she won't lose her license. Oh, God, don't say that. Forget, don't yeah. jinx me, host. <laughs> okay, bye. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. 
Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning or have never even heard of paddle or padel, as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with a pro tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!